0: Good news. Oh, I don't need to yell. <laughs> Started the yelling at the wrong time. Uh, good news. There's seats in the front row. Okay. Good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A. Hey. Let me go back to my life. Second Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5, Acts chapter 26. Maybe some others. We'll see. Ready to stand? Pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love and honor you and give praise to your name. And this morning, God, I just pray that you would help us to yield to you in every single heart in this place. Father, we come before you with reverence and with humility, and not come before you, God, to tell you how awesome we are, but to ask, God, that you would fill us with yourself And we want, God, a greater realization of how much we need you and a greater understanding of all that you have offered to us. And we thank you for who you are. And ask, God, that you would help us and fill us and make us more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a very special day today, other than being a Sunday. It is, is it not? Is it not? Alright. For those of you that don't know why, just ask around. If I keep talking, I might embarrass people. Acts chapter 26, Paul's giving a defense of his faith before King Agrippa. It's one of the great um, evangelistic um, Sermons that's preached in the New Testament, I'm only going to um, touch one verse here and then we're going to move on. In verse 8, Paul says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul speaking before an audience of people that don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that God would die and be raised from the dead. They don't believe that God can raise the dead. And Paul said, what, but his argument is not, to be clear, he's not saying God raised him from the dead. If He did. Paul does say that. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, why would it be weird to you that God raises the dead? But why would that be an unusual thought? Like Why, why is that something that, that you would struggle to believe or think is unusual in some way. And that's, that's different. Um, I don't know if you've um, encountered or spent much time on um, some of the major um, arguments that atheists make against the existence of God. Uh, Dawkins and Harris and guys of that sort. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or no? No. Is this past? I mean, it was, is that, are you too young for this? You don't know who Richard Dawkins is? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Joanne does. But Joanne, you're like, you're <laughs> it's been a, it's been a moment since you've been an undergrad. No, it just means you're you're wise, you know. But it it's been a second. It's been a second. Of course it's been 2 seconds since I've been in the guard. So the various arguments and suggestions uh you know that supposedly point to the non-existence of God all of which are uh silly. Uh and but I I like Paul's attitude here. Paul's like your suggestion, that the idea that it would be weird that God raises the dead, it's just being dumb. And a lot, of, a lot of modern arguments against the existence of God are, are sort of like that. Um, things like, um, if God is real, why doesn't he just reveal himself? Why doesn't he show himself to me? Because he's not insecure. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't need your attention. He doesn't crave it. If there were an ant that lived in your front yard, they didn't know that you existed. Do you feel compelled to go and (laughs) do a dramatic reenactment of your life, make sure the ant acknowledges you? Of course, you don't. You don't feel. You don't feel the urge at all. Doesn't add anything to your glory for the ant to know you exist. You're less than an ant before God. You're nothing. Less than a speck of dust in the universe. 45 billion light years this way. 45 billion light years that way. 45 billion, billion you have no idea what 45 billion light years is. It's a vast expanse, so vast, you can't, can't fathom it. In every single direction, God created it all. A billion, billion angels stand before him. They sing his praises, day and night, night and day. When he shudders, the galaxies shake, and he needs your attention? He needs to prove himself to you by appearing to you to prove that he's God? Uh, If God exists, there wouldn't be any suffering in the world. Is God's glory... Is it more glorious if God makes beautiful things out of trash? Or is it more glorious if God makes beautiful things out of beautiful things? If Iron Man makes an Iron Man suit in the greatest laboratory on earth, he'd be like, wow, you're really smart. If Iron Man makes an Iron Man suit out of a heap of trash in a cave Sin is quite useful to God. It, it does something for you, purifies you, trains you, makes you, shapes you to be more like Jesus. And it does something for him. It increases his glory, the work that he does in the midst of it. So why should he be in a rush to get rid of it? Christians are in a rush to get rid of all sorts of things that are actually quite useful to God. We're in a rush to end poverty, for instance. But Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. Mm -hmm. So all the effort that you're spending trying to end poverty. Having the poor is a useful thing, actually. Mm -hmm. It gives you an opportunity to have compassion, to show mercy, to show kindness. It's an opportunity that God values for you and I to have. A really important part of staying with God is growing in your understanding of Him. Because the less you understand Him, the more likely you are to be disappointed in life and despair and feel hopeless. Because life is not going the way that you anticipated, but the way that you anticipated is not right because you don't understand what he wants and what he's like. And God could be moving radically, powerfully, incredibly, amazingly in your life as he was in the days of Jesus in that generation. But most people missed him because he was moving in a way that they didn't expect. God's moving radically and powerfully on the earth today. As we're all cry out for revival, God, move, God. He is, actually. Radically and powerfully and incredibly all around the world. And he's actually moving radically and powerfully in your life. Mm-hmm. That's right. And on your campus. But you may not see how or why. And because you don't see how or why, you may grow Discouraged at God, I don't know if I'm talking to anyone or if we're just hypothesizing here. You might grow discouraged at what you feel like God is not doing, and in being discouraged about what God is not doing, satisfy yourself with religious activity because at least there's something there that helps you feel connected to Him. I wanna um. Spend a few minutes this morning on a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Paul said, why is the thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In other words, he said, why would you be surprised that God would use his power, that God would have the power and that he would use his power in this way? And I want to um, um, suggest something very similar to you this morning, um, which is this. Sometimes um, as a student um, in an Ivy League school or going to school wherever you go, Uh, You hear stories about um, miracles, about things that God has done in other places around the world. And um, you can get the idea that, well, you know, God can do that in Africa, sure. Maybe in China, maybe in Russia, maybe in Pakistan, maybe in Uzbekistan, maybe in Ukraine, you know. But but we're in America. God doesn't do those things in America. Of course he does. Not only does he, but he desires to. Not only does he desire to, but he intends to. Not only does he intend to, but you need it, actually. Without God's power working in you, you would die. You just may not feel that because you may feel safe. But are you safe? There's a shooting in America every day now. Millions of people die by disease, by sickness, by car accidents, by all sorts of strange things and beyond those things are you safe in your mind in your heart in your life is your future assured do you feel that you your future is totally secure without god all things die without his power actively working in your life all things die that's the nature of the world is that there is no life apart from him he's the only life giver everything that is created or that is born immediately begins to die the moment that it's born because there's nothing in this life, in this world that gives life to something that is alive. Only God does. You are dying. Me too. This is wearing away. Thank God. (laughs) This is dying. It's it started dying the moment that it was born. Everything in us is dying. The only thing that is life is God and if you don't it 's just a matter of time. do you see there are places in the world in Iraq, for instance, um, where um, uh, a guy we know used to used to minister um, before he was kicked out because it was too dangerous. Uh, 80% of believers who came to his church would be martyred within two weeks. 80%. Somebody comes to church this week, they're convicted by the Lord, they give their life to Jesus, 80% chance within two weeks they're dead. It's hard to keep up a church that way, is it not? Now you thought student ministry was hard. In an environment like that, the knowledge of death and the knowledge of your need for the power of God to keep you alive is immediate. You feel it. You feel it just much more intuitively. Just like if you had fourth stage cancer, you would feel, oh, I need God to keep me alive in a way that's probably different from the way that you feel it now because you're young and probably healthy. But the fact is you're dying and so am I. And not just dying in the sense of life and death, but also dying in the sense that you and I have no future or hope apart from God. There's nothing useful we can do in this life apart from God. We consume resources. We can't give anything without God. We can't change anyone's life. We can't convict anyone of sin. We can't save anyone or bring anyone into the kingdom. We can't build a church or hold a good prayer meeting or sing a good praise song without God. There's nothing that we can do without His power holding us up every single day. The problem is when we begin to think that we can do something and then we forget that we actually need Him. We forget that, that, that it's all held together by Him and then we become content with the things that we're able to do, by the things that we do that are actually quite dead and not look for the things that are alive. And so when Paul says, why does it surprise you? Why do you think it's incredible that God raises it? It's not just saying like God can. He's not even just saying that God does and God will. There's something more to it that's really important for you. You and I can't do anything, diddly squat, apart from God's dead-raising power actively at work in our lives each and every single day. And you'd be probably not surprised. If you were to look in your own heart today, I would suspect that each and every single, maybe not each and every, maybe there's an exception here, probably everybody in this room, woke up this morning not expecting God to do a miracle today. You probably woke up this morning thinking, I hope I have a nice morning serve. Actually, maybe you didn't. (laughs) Thinking, (laughs) I hope I have a nice, maybe you're thinking, God, I hope I get home on time. And then I have p-sets, and I got to go, you know, have my small group, or leave my Bible study, or go have dinner with my friends, and I hope I have a good time. And and then I'm going to go to sleep, and tomorrow I'm going to wake up. Uh, prob- very few people probably woke up and said, oh, I need God to do a miracle today. God's going to do a miracle today. It's going to be awesome. Let's do it. But without that kind of expectancy in us, we don't realize that we can't produce anything else that's of any use, and that very, else, very little else in our life actually matters at all there's not that many, um, I, I, uh, getting miracles is, um, having God do miracles in your life is not at all some mysterious, um, mystical, unusual, um, difficult, uh, you know, ridiculous, have to be super special thing, you know, that God could do. You are super special. That's why he chose you. That's why he created you. Uh, but it's, it's not at all like some, some weird thing that, that, you know, well, holy people can have it and I can't have it. And, and um, no, actually, um, you, you don't need to be holy at all in order, to be, um, in order to have God's power working in and through you. The man of the Gadarenes that had a legion of demons inside of him was not a holy man when Jesus worked a miracle in his life. You don't need to think, oh, I sinned last night. God can't do any miracles for me. That, 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 you don't buy miracles with your holiness. He's just loving and kind. He's just loving and kind. There are certain things that God can't bless you with um, it, because you can't steward them. But that, that's different. But you should never think to yourself, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough, and so God's not going to do anything for me. Mm-hmm. He's not a man. He is a God that practices steadfast love, kindness, and justice on the earth. He's not a man. Do you know? The reason, the primary reason that God, um, that you don't see miracles, would, would you like to know? Yes, yes, yes. yes. You're all members. Why do you need to know? So would anybody else like to know? Would anybody who's not a member of our church like to know? Just kidding. Would you like to know the primary reason that God, that you don't see miracles in your life? And how to? 2nd Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read you two stories. The first one um, and the second one, um, they make the same point in different ways. Is that okay? Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. So you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in this house except a jar of oil. And I said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And he went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her, son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then... The oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Do you know why God doesn't do miracles for you? Because you don't have any empty vessels for him to pour into. The lack is not in the oil. It's no lack of oil. The oil is endless, it never stops flowing. The lack isn't the empty vessels. When the vessel is full, the oil he stops pouring. And when you run out of empty vessels, the oil stops. Esther asked me yesterday She was telling a num, uh, some stories about financial provision miracles of financial provision they saw which she told some you guys some of those miracles too how God would provide food and money and and things that they needed at the moment they needed them and she asked me she said um you must have miracles of this sort in your ministry uh financial miracles and then I said um not anymore And I, and I said, at the very beginning, we did many because we didn't have money, and h- holding every event was—I mean, you just went to, into it in faith. And here's my credit card, and you know. But 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 you went into it in faith, and God always provided each and every single time. God always provided. We never went broke. But I said, not anymore said God we've been blessed with members who work in a big city and have good paying jobs and the Lord has blessed us with a with a culture in our church where people give offerings and the fact is we don't need it anymore we have abundance that's not a curse it's not a curse but the fact is not anymore Why is it that um, you don't see the miracles that you'd like to see? Because there's no room in your life for them. Because your life is full. You know that verse that we've all quoted in Psalm 23? I think it's um, verse 5 where David says, And my cup overflows. Yes? We're always like, yeah, we want my cup to overflow. The problem is when your cup is overflowing is that it doesn't do any good for anyone to add anything else to it. Do you know? And when your cup is overflowing, your heart can be full, you can full of joy, full of peace. That's a blessing. But if you want to see the power of God at work in your life, you've got to take that full cup and empty it. So there's room in your life for Him to do something. When you sit down with your friend who's not a believer and you're trying to share the gospel and you just want them to get saved and you want God to speak through you. Do you know why he doesn't? Because you've planned everything you're going to say. You have a pitch already. It's ready to go. You practiced it in small group. You were told <laughs> to practice it. You practiced it. Now you're ready to go. 120 seconds or less. Yab 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 yap. He can't speak through you when your mouth is full. He can't fill your stomach when your stomach is full. He can't fill your thoughts when your thoughts are full. And he can't give you his hope when you already have hopes of your own. You don't have time for God's dreams because you have so many dreams for yourself. You want to heal somebody, you've got to see a sick person from time to time. I was complaining to God years ago. I was like, God, gotta raise a dead person. It's gonna do wonders for my confidence and my spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> gotta raise a dead person. And then I was, I don't know, I was shadow boxing, you know, in the spirit. You know what shadow boxing is, right? So you think you got spiritual warfare, but all you are doing is just, you're imagining that you're important. Anyways, <laughs> shadow boxing. It's not always spiritual warfare, sometimes you just made it up. Anyways. So I was, I was like, "Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I, I need to raise, it's God, you just it'd be awesome! If you're awesome, and then I thought to myself, "Self, you don't ever see any dead people." I thought to myself, "This is, this is a problem. This, this is a real problem. You can't raise the dead when you don't see any dead people." You can't heal the sick when you don't see any sick. It's possible that he, but th- that's fine actually. I, I don't think that healing and things like that are the only miracles that God does, He does so many other miracles. There's healing of the heart and brokenness, restoration, gift of righteousness, all sorts of things that are miracles that God needs to do in our lives. They're not as physically dramatic as physical healing, but they're absolutely just as miraculous. But we need to create space for God to to do them. Do you know? We need to create space for God to do them. We need to create space for God to do them. We need to create space for God to do them. I'm going to say it again. You need to create space for God to do them. If it feels like I'm repeating myself a lot this weekend, I am. It's intentional. Because I genuinely believe that there are some of you in this room that you really need to connect with God and have God needs to put a great fire in your life to live for Him, to love Him, to live less for the world. There's, there's, there's probably people like that here. But there's plenty, I think, of people in this room that where... Your issue is not your lack of desire, and it's not. And the issue also is not God's lack of willingness to use you. The issue is that you have no room for Him. And when Mary and Joseph found that the inn was full, they did not shove their way in. And I wonder if there's any room in your inn. As I said before, there is no room for God when your schedule is full from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I understand that that's not just like other people's churches, it's like our own. Try to get three people in our church to have a meeting together, it's like, you know, three Thursdays from now between 4.17 and 4.32 a.m., I was trying to schedule a prayer meeting at Columbia, just one hour a week, guys, any one hour in the week. And I was like, well, there's no time that 100% of us can make it. So who does you want to pray with? I'm just kidding, I mean, no pressure. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be really serious now because I really want to invite you, if you are willing to think about this, please do not hear this as a... Uh, put down of any kind, because it's not. It's just the truth. We are humans. We are unable to produce anything of genuine value to the world. The only thing of value is the things that God does in you and through you. Those are the only things of value. Those are the only, at least, at the very least, those are the only things that separate you from everybody else. Everything that you can do, other people can also do. You are not the smartest person. And if you think you are, well, that there's, I, I mean, okay, <laughs> this is not the meeting for you. <laughs> um, you're not the smartest person. Do you do you know someone who's more capable than you, like just naturally capable than you, or do you not? You do, correct, right? You know someone that like they are just smarter and more hardworking and nicer, <laughs> and nicer. And you're never going to get ahead of them in life. And certainly, (laughs) certainly, certainly you're not going to be able to witness for the Lord because there's something super special about you that nobody else has. Do you know? The only thing of value that we have to offer to the world are things that come from God. The world cannot produce. It cannot manufacture. And the only way that you get those things in your life is if you make room for them to exist in you. And the only way that you make room for them to exist in you is to clear out some space in the inn. Do you want God to do something in you? Drop some clubs. Drop some classes. Don't tell your parents, I said that. <laughs> said that, say the Lord spoke to me and convicted me. Okay, don't say anything about me. I don't wanna be blamed. it's not my fault. <laughs> say the lord spoke to me and convicted me drop things that take away your time and your attention drop some of the hopes and dreams that you have as much as i like sitting down with people and saying, you know what do you where do you imagine your life being in 5 years or 10 years i have yet to meet a single person that's accurately predicted and i've been doing this for over a decade and there are some people I that, you know, in God, and they're, not, they're not, not talking about bad people. are talking about good people, people that I like. They don't want their hopes and dreams to come true. They just don't. Even a lot of the God told me kind of hopes and dreams don't come true. I know young people your age or a little older than you, and they are sure, 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 they know what they're going to do in life. And they are sure, 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 confident. I have dreams, I have visions, I have words, I have confirmations, I have blah, yada, 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 yada like, oh, the whole. And not, it, it just does not come to pass. It just doesn't come to pass. Can I actually tell you a secret? If it's okay to tell you some secrets? These are the kind of secrets that um, people don't. I want to be honest with you. James chapter four, there's this verse, verses, several verses. James says this in starting verse thirteen. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and in such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let me tell you a secret now. My heroes, heroes of the faith, people that can hear God, like, they can hear God. Like, they can predict the future, like they, if you were to ask them about the future, they'd be like, they, I mean, you think that, you think that they were like a teenager, so I'm, they'd be like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, we're prepared for all circumstances, you know, I'm often wrong in hearing God, I'm like, you are an apostle of the faith, (laughs) there's something, that as you grow in maturity in God, you grow less confident in your gifts, and you grow more confident in his ability to lead you every moment. If you have a five-year plan for yourself, if you are a freshman in college right now and somebody says, what are you going to do after you graduate? Oh, I'm going to med school. (laughs) Kick yourself. If the Lord will, I have an interest in medicine. I would like to serve people that way. If the Lord wills, by his grace, he will send me to med school. But if not, and I will follow him wherever he leads. You can't be so attached to your dreams like that. The more that you're like, the less likely you are to do them, to, to, to do what God wants you to do. There was a young man whom I love dearly and whom Carolyn loves dearly, who just got married actually, who went to Dartmouth. And when he was in Dartmouth, he had his heart set on being a soldier. And he had a whole life plan. He was going to be a soldier, and then after being in the military, he was going to be a political operative. Eventually, he was going to run for public office. Like, I mean, just his whole life plan. And he was a good guy. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Good, solid guy. Chunky. (laughs) In the best way possible. In the best way possible. (laughs) You know, don't pick a fight with him. I mean, he was built to be a Marine. Man, he was built to be a Marine. And good, but good, good, solid guy. Honest, hardworking, uh, integrity, love God, wanted to... Every time he asked him what he was going to do, I'm like, I'm going to go into the military. I'm going to go into the I mean, just years. He was just in the military. He said everything in his life towards being in the military. After he graduates, he goes into the military. COVID comes along, vaccine mandate, doesn't want to take the vaccine, gets discharged from the military. Now he's a police officer. Nothing wrong with being a police officer. It's a glorious thing to be a police officer. I happen to like police officers. It makes me feel good when I see them. Hello, officer. (laughs) Good to see you today. Gives a swell of great joy when I see a police officer in my neighborhood. Kid you not, I like them. They're excellent people. He's a police officer. I'm not going to go and condemn them and be like, ha ha, you missed it. (laughs) But he did. He didn't miss it for being a bad person. He missed it for being what James 4 said. Now, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But James 4 says that all such boasting is evil. Not because God doesn't care about your dreams, but simply because you don't know. As much as you may like to think that you know, you don't. And the more that you filled your life with such things, less room there is for God to do something in you. Does that make sense? Do you want to see miracles in your life? Empty your life. Empty it. Get rid of the things that take up your time and your attention and your hopes and your dreams and your desires. Rid yourself of them. The surest way I know how to preach a sermon that is not from God is to repair it a week in advance. Somebody can't remember who asked me, um, I think on Friday night or Saturday morning, uh, you know, what are you going to talk about next? I said, I don't know. And I truly don't. I can tell you what I would like to talk about next. I can tell you what I would like for you to know. I can tell you what I think you should know. But that's the best way to make sure that I'm telling you what I want you to know rather than what God may want you to know. Even after making room for God, I often just default into being a human. Miss hear wrong, misinterpret, misapply, misspeak. <laughs> you're like you're misspeaking right now. I'm like, eh. <laughs> you, it happens all the time. Like that it happens. But but if I but I could I could there's a way to guarantee that it'll happen. And that's just to give you what I think is right. And then there's a way to take a risk and sometimes it's God and sometimes it's not and that's where you give God room and you give God room. not everything is you don't just be like I'm winging it it must be God no (laughs) that's also not that's also not quite quite right but at least there's the opportunity for God to be there and and if you want to find him you first have to give him opportunities you know The key verse in this story is this, verse 6, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel, and he said to her, there is not another, and I wonder if you could say that in your life, there's not another hour, there's not more time, there's not space for another class, there's not room because I filled it all with all the stuff that I need. What if, how many of you, not, don't raise your hand if you don't feel like it, but if you're less ashamed, then go ahead and raise your hand, all right? How many of you, when you are early in your college career, you planned out more or less your classwork and you saved a full course load for your senior year and you would need to take eight or nine or ten classes in order to graduate? Don't raise your hand if you don't, I'll raise my own hand. At and, and MIT, there was a requirement. There's actually lots of requirements. They're very unfortunate. Some of them are <laughs> unfortunate. One of them is biology. Ugh, oh, I dreaded taking it. And chemistry also. So you have to take biology, chemistry, two semesters of physics, and two semesters of calculus in order to graduate, along with a bunch of humanities classes. <laughs> and a swim test. <laughs> Anyways, I was dreading taking chemistry and biology, so I push them off until the last term, until the last year. And then I took chemistry, it passed. And then second semester biology, it was really down to the, because God, we started this ministry my second semester, my senior year, and I have very much time to study in biology, not my greatest subject. And I mean, when I took the final, I was like, Lord, my life is in your hands. <laughs> it truly is. Do you want me to fail? I surrender. <laughs> I really do because it was it was very much. Dure. If i I didn't pass. I even went to the academic, um, uh, whatever d- dean or something, and I was like, um, I was like, I'm concerned that I may fail, uh, this class, and then and then could I graduate? And and they said, oh, well, you know, how are you tracking right now? And I said, I think I'm gonna get, I think I'm gonna get a, a, a like a C minus, and uh, they're like, oh, C minus is okay. You can still graduate with a C minus, and I was like. such a relief such a relief but because I stuffed my life full of that, do you know God didn't tell me in advance that we were going to start this ministry my second semester senior do you know it would have been really nice for him to warn me in advance because then I could have taken biology the year before when I had more time but do you know he doesn't and he didn't and he doesn't owe it to you or me to do that He can lead us however he wants, whenever he wants, and he expects that we'll follow immediately. And the only way we can is if we've cleared our life so that we have room to do that. A lot of the situations we put ourselves in is because we plan poorly. We plan for God to not do anything and so he doesn't do anything. If you want God to do something, you need to make room for him to do something. And then, he may or he may not. But you have to plan. How many services you've been to where God doesn't do anything and, the, and you understand the reason why. You started with two fast songs and then you did one slow song and then somebody shared for 10 minutes and then you had snacks for five minutes and somebody said a prayer for two minutes and you dismissed. Where was there time for God to do anything? And you're like, God didn't do anything. Yeah. If Jesus literally stood in the room and was like, could I, he wouldn't have, shh, shh sit down. We have an agenda here. More <laughs> than so-and-so is about to read a verse. You pay attention. Yeah. Oh, not Jesus, he's glowing, but he doesn't show up glowing. He shows up in the form of one of your friends who nobody thinks is particularly spiritual, but that way God spoke to him and they raised their hand, but you didn't know that it was God. It is an affirmative obligation for you and I to make room for God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The default is you do not open the door. That's, the default is not you open it, the default is you do not. Opening it requires affirmatively choosing to open it. It requires you not to sit in your chair or in your bed to affirmatively do something that is I'm opening the door to God in my life by default you will not find God in this life this point in your life is the most important for you to see the the split into the trajectory and to begin to make decisions why? because up until this point in your life most of the decisions that uh, big decisions about your life were not you did not make they were made for you you didn't choose to go to school in fact, if, anyways, you didn't choose to go to school. You may have chosen where to go to college, but maybe you only got into one. You probably didn't choose to go to church growing up. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't. But fact is, it wasn't your choice to go. Correct? And very recently, recently being in the last two or three or four, eight just kidding, Jen I'm older than you, you know that, eight years you begin to make choices on your own. And when you've been led in this manner your whole life and people have made choices for you may seem the most natural thing to simply sit back and allow life to carry you along. I went to SAT prep class because my parents made me go to SAT prep class, said everybody in this room. You know, I learned violin, I went to violin lessons because my parents paid for them and drove me. I went to music camp because my parents encouraged me to go. I went to math camp because my parents encouraged me to go. I went to this because my friends are going and I wanted to go too. And for most of our life we just get pulled into that life that you are doing. And if you want to, you can actually continue that. You can graduate and apply for no jobs other than the ones that are listed in your careers office. And take the best one that you find. After taking the best one you can find, you can simply follow the job trajectory that that firm offers you and expect to work there for the next 30, 40 years. You can tell yourself, so you have enough income to provide for yourself. Be merry. Sit back. Enjoy life. And you can just let life go by. But at some point, if you really want to encounter God, you need to affirmatively decide that there is going to be room in my life for God to, to do miracles. We have a friend who's a wonderful missionary, quite renowned, her name is Heidi. And years ago, she rescues many children out of very terrible circumstances, many orphans in, in Africa. And years ago, they built a children's center and they brought in, I think it was about 100 young girls in the, in the girls' home that they had there and they're having their very first Christmas celebration. And these girls had never celebrated Christmas before. Many of them had sold their bodies. Many of them had been bandits. Many of them had been wounded, bruised, abused. Many of them had been victims of war. They're just difficult backgrounds. And it was their very first Christmas, and they were doing a Christmas celebration for Christmas. They wanted to make sure that every girl would be able to have a gift for Christmas, be the first one that they ever received. And um, they had gotten gifts. I think um, this part of the story, I don't know that well, but I think it was like an American church had sent over some gifts for them to give to their children that year. And so they started with the youngest and um, all the gifts were in a bag. Uh, and um, they started with the youngest and said, what would you like? What would you like? What would you like? And every child got a gift and they were all very happy. And by the time they got to the older girls, some of the older girls, the only gifts that they had left in the bag were these old stuffed dogs. And um, and uh so Heidi gets to um the the first set of older girls, and one of her friends, who's an i think an American missionary is there helping and Heidi says um, to the girl, "What would you like for Christmas?" and um her friend looks at her and is like there's only dog, there's only stuffed dogs in this bag What? what, what <laughs> Why, why, why ask them to tell you something and then not be able to give it to them and then disappoint them? She gives her this look, you know, and then Heidi says, "What, what would you like for Christmas?" And the girl says, "Beads." And the other nurse is like, oh. <laughs> "Bag full of old stuff, ducks. There's no be- There's no bead. There's no beads. <laughs> there's no beads." Close specs like Heidi. There's no beads. Heidi said she doesn't want a stuffed dog. She wants beads. And so the missionary opens the bag again. She there's beads. And she takes the beads out and she gives it to the girl. And she goes to the next girl, what would you like for Christmas? She says, I'd like a doll. There's no doll in the bag. <laughs> this is, a, this is, nuts. This is opens the bag and says, oh my, there's a doll. She takes a doll out from among the stuffed dogs, gives <laughs> it to the girl. She like, goes to the next one, what would you like for Christmas? A soccer ball. A so- Down the line, every single girl got exactly what they wanted for Christmas. And a bag full of stuffed dogs. Do you see, it is a choice to not, in that circumstance, say, I'm so sorry, I would love to give you what you want, but all I have are dogs. It's a choice in that circumstance Did you, did you, you heard what I said, should I say it again? Let's say it again, let's say it again, all right, let's say it again. It's a choice to not say, I would love to give you what you want, but unfortunately, I'm so sorry, all that's left are done. That's a choice that you make. If you and I do not make choices of that sort, why would you expect? There's no room. For the oil to flow, where is the oil going? Where is the oil going to flow? There's no room. There's no room. One day, Elisha, verse eight, went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. And so, whenever he passed by that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And he said to her husband, behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room. Let us make a small room. On the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Elisha is a traveling itinerant minister. And that day, I think there were some hotels, maybe not. But in this particular area in Shunem, evidently there was not. And there was a woman who lived there who was a wealthy woman. And she just noticed. Nobody told her. Nobody forced her. It was none of her business. Do you understand? None of her business? It's none of her business. Elisha wasn't related to her. They weren't friends. She had no reason to care. But one day, she said to herself, "Yeah, there's this great guy. He's a man of God. I know that he's a righteous man and he comes by here often. He just, I don't know why he's here. I don't know what he's doing here. He's probably ministering, he's probably going around. Elisha was doing all sorts of things in that day. He was advising kings and princes. He was doing all sorts of things. But just—but he happens to be here and um, I just feel like we should offer him some food and he's here. And so next time Elisha goes by, she says, hey, hey, hey. Just happened to be cooking lunch. She wants some. He says, Yeah. Comes in and has lunch with her. And and then it became a routine. We would stop by and she she would know his pattern, when he was coming next, and stop by for lunch often. And then she thought to herself, Well, he doesn't have a place to stay. Why don't we make room? for him to stay. It starts with you creating the smallest opening. You may say to yourself, well, God, I don't have eight hours a day to give you right now. He's not asking for that. He's not asking you to build a house for him. He's asking you to serve lunch. The smallest incremental opening in your life. Does that make sense? We're not asking you to, like, leave school and, you know, and, you know abandon your family and go be a missionary. Nobody's asking you to do that. We're asking for the small—I'm not even asking. I think God's asking. I'm not asking. Anything. Is God, I think, would like to ask you for the smallest incremental opening in your life to serve lunch, and everybody can serve lunch to somebody. Serve lunch. And so from the smallest opening, it, they begin a the routine of having lunch. And from a routine of having lunch, she, the grace comes to make room. Eleven. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, "Call this Shunammite." And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, "Say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Ooh, would you not love it if God were to say to you one day, see, look, you've been serving me so faithfully. You did all these things. They're none of your business. You don't have to do them. You don't have to care.'" about refugees from North Korea. You didn't have to care about missionaries in Africa. You didn't have to care about the evangelist who's always serving in your city, but nobody appreciates him. You didn't have to go encourage that guy that was standing on the corner. It was none of your business. It wasn't your ministry. But listen, you've taken all this trouble to care about the things that I care about because you were available to care about them. Okay, what am I supposed to do for you? I'm just waiting for that question because I have answers, you know? (laughs) God doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, but have you done anything for Him? You can have whatever relationship you want with God. Create space in your life for Him. Do you know? You can't have relationships that you don't have room for. One day you're going to have kids. And you know, having kids, you have to create room for them. Physically. They need room. But relationally, emotionally, and intangibly, they need room. You, you, you cannot each work 80 hours a week and then expect that like, your kids are going to magically just grow up in God and love you and be righteous and feel loved and feel secure. Like, that, that's, that's not going to happen. Somebody has to say, I need to get rid of this in my life so I have room for my kids. Otherwise, you shouldn't have them. What's the point? You're just creating orphans. In the same way, in the same way, you can't have the power of God at work in your life when you don't want it. And we know you don't want it because you filled your life with everything else. Mm -hmm. Do you know when people say, like, save room for dessert? I usually say, no thanks. I'd rather have more meat than dessert. But after, you don't have two stomachs. There's not a separate stomach for dessert, I assure you. Because when most people are having dessert, I'm like, well, I wonder if I should order another steak. <laughs> you know, like, or maybe some fries. Like, it really just it depends on the day. I'm like, you know I'd rather have some fries. It, it, it's not. No, you, you only have a certain amount of space. And, and I, I, if you want dessert, you've got to save room for dessert. I, I'm telling you, it's the exact same, actually. Do you want God to do miracles for you? said two people, what on earth are we doing? You want God to do miracles for him? Make room. Tom, I know you do. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to calm down because it's a good attitude to have, but I know you do. <laughs> Care to everybody else. Do you, you, wanna, you want God to do miracles for you in your life? There's miracles to be had in everything that you do. Do you know that you can write an essay so stunning your, teacher, your professor's never seen anything like it before? Yeah. <laughs> no, that is no joke. That is no joke. Do you know that on your PSAT you can invent a totally new algorithm that's publishable because it's more efficient than anything on the books? It's not actually that hard. Make room. You make room for God when you don't plan out your life for yourself. I am not encouraging you to procrastinate. But if you happen to be a procrastinator, don't give God room to do a miracle for you. Like If you're going to procrastinate anyway, you might as well use it as an opportunity God,
1: guess what? Happy birthday. I have a gift for you. I need help. Like, like no, it's a, if you're going
0: to do it, you might as well turn it into an opportunity. God, help me. Save me. God, have mercy. God, I am a sinner. Never do it again. Actually, I'm so sorry. I just lied. I will do it again, but save me anyway. Give him room. Give them room. And I can't tell you how many stories there are of just students I've known. I've, you know, I can't come to retreat this one. I can, we can have an essay. It's due on Monday. I have to do it. I'm going to fail this class. I'm like, okay, you can stay on campus and you can do your essay or you can come to retreat your choice. I come to retreat. I'm like, I need a miracle. I'm like, of course you do. Just come to retreat. Sunday night, they get to class. I just got an email. You won't believe it. My professor is sick.
1: (laughs) She said, I'm not going to get to read your essays anyway. Just turn them in by Thursday.
0: (laughs) I can't tell you how many of those miracles. Just how many. You're like, yeah, that's what I need. Yeah, if you are faithful and if you make room for God. If you keep telling God, I can't pray, I can't fast, I can't do this, and my life is full, don't expect them. If you make room for him, sometimes he lets him. F- sometimes he lets you fail. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, yes. <laughs> sometimes. And when you look back, it won't matter to you that you failed. What will matter to you is that you experienced him. You realize that he was with you all along. And when you realize that, the failures won't matter because you realize that even in the failure. That he was with you the sparrow does not worry about tomorrow he knows that he doesn't he just doesn't worry about tomorrow when you're not like oh i got to be how am i ever going to get into med school the sparrow does not worry about tomorrow the sparrow does not worry about tomorrow do you know when you trust god sometimes he supernaturally allows bad things to happen to you it's incredible. Sometimes we think that all miracles are like good things that we want. Sometimes miracles are things that we do not want, but we need them to help us find our way. Can I tell you one that you won't like? Yeah, go ahead. I have a microphone. You're a captive audience. But then i got to end this because I'm going to do some worship and prayer time. When I was applying to college, I wanted to go to Harvard. I know you can't relate, but... When I wanted to go to Harvard I was, dead set on get, I was dead set on getting into Harvard and I applied to MIT early action because I thought it would be safer I was a math nerd that's why so I, but then um, my regular admission I was like um, but I'm going to apply to Harvard and try to get into Harvard and hope I go there and, um, and I didn't get in by the grace of God because if I had I would have gone there because I didn't have in my heart to say no. And if I'd done that, then I wouldn't have been where God wanted me to be. But the way that God did not get me into Harvard, Daniel Lee happens to be a very common name. And back then Harvard had an admissions portal where you could see all the material that you had submitted. I don't know if they still do that today, but you could see all the material that you had submitted, everything that was part of your application. And they got my SAT scores and AP scores mixed up with somebody else who had much worse grades than me and didn't take any of the classes. And I didn't check until close to the, just until after the deadline, during the admission, during the review process. And one day I went on the portal and I checked,
1: and I was like, oh my god, a great error, a great, a great grievance has happened. <laughs> Can't tell you how freaked out I was.
0: I picked up the phone immediately. Back then we didn't have cell phones, I picked up the phone immediately, I called the mission's office, I'm like, <laughs> officer,
1: I'm calling you to report a crime. <laughs> my scores have been mixed up with somebody else's, save me.
0: And the officer's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, it never happened, let me go check. T- 10 minutes later, I'm like, <laughs> on the phone. I came back and they said, I'm so sorry but the emissions committee is reviewing your file right now. There's nothing I can do about it. In that moment, my file was being reviewed. I said if it wasn't for that, I could have gone in there and changed the records, if, it, if the file was just on the shelf. But like right now, it's in the review process and I can't do anything about it. I said I'm so sorry. I didn't get it. I did not think that was a miracle. Oh, I thought that, hmm. <laughs> But it was the type of miracle you only appreciate in hindsight. God will never force you to make room. If you're waiting for, him to, for lightning to hit you and be like, seek me now, it's never going to happen. God will allow you to live out your life the way that you want. He'll allow you to date the people you want. Go to the church you want. Work at the job you want live in the house that you want, marry the person you want, have the kids that you want, buy the car that you want, take on the mortgage that you want and go on the vacations that you want. He will allow all of that. If you want him, it's a choice. To empty yourself. As I said to you before, the struggle for the poor person is to be full, the struggle for the rich person is to be empty is to be empty. You want a financial miracle, you gotta empty yourself of your money. Do you want a miracle in your grades? You need God to take hold of your life in such a way that you need a miracle in your academics. Do you want a miracle in your job search? You can't have the perfect resume. (laughs) Otherwise, no miracles are needed. Goldman will just take you. (laughs) You need a resume that is imperfect, not because you were lazy, but because God got a hold of your life and you set down your nets and you said, I will follow you. If you want a miracle in your ministry, you got to give him space to do it. And if you want to find him, you need to go look for him. Well, God knows where I live. If he wants to encounter me and encounter me in a room, it is exactly the way to never be touched by God. You want to make sure that God never does anything with you? Live the most convenient life that you can live. Go to the church that's down the block and don't think about any other. That's the way to make sure you never get touched by God. Because it's very obvious you don't value it enough to take an extra step to find him. the Shunammite woman was asked, what can we do for you? And she wanted a son, but she was old. You could read the rest of the story later. She wanted a son, but she was old and so old she didn't think that she could have a son. And Elijah said, around this time next year, You will embrace a child. He says, oh, don't lie to me. You can't possibly have. God is able to do much more than you even dare to dream or ask or imagine. It is incredible that when she was asked, what do you want? She didn't even, she thought that her life was complete, but it wasn't. She wanted a son, and God knew it, but she didn't. It's not that she didn't know, I think. It's like, it's just that, you know those desires that are so deep and entrenched, but so like, just, you know, like, they're just so far off, you've never imagine that, like, it's possible in you, and so you wouldn't even call them hopes because they're just, they're just, they're just too far off. When we talk about your hopes, we're talking about the things that are slightly out of reach. We're not talking about going to Pluto. We're talking about the things that are very slightly out of reach. But the desires that God has for you are the things that are very out of reach, the things that are entirely impossible for you. And some of those things are things in the world, successes and and blessings and and some of them are things in the spirit. They they're things on the inside. They're things in the kingdom of God where you get wrapped up in a narrative, in a story, in a in an adventure if you this you know, in an adventure that only he can create and only he can write that you could never have dreamed up for yourself. And it's only possible if you realize That your dreams are small and his dreams are big. Even the dreams you have that you think came from him are small. Big. The Bible says that what he is going to do is so big, it's beyond everything you've dreamed, hoped, imagined, even the things that have come into the imagination of man. Even a word of God, when it comes into the imagination of man, becomes small relative to God's will. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Because I'm like, oh God, these are all your dreams. And as soon as they enter into my mind and I begin to imagine them and think about them, they're small compared to what God can do. The greatest thing, some of the greatest things that God does are things that you don't realize that he's going to do them until in hindsight. After he did them, because they were too big for you to imagine before he did them. And even while he was doing them. And that's the life that I would like for you to have. It sounds kind of weird, because especially if you're kind of, I like prophecy, I like being prophetic, I like feeling a prophetic person. But my hope for you is that you have a, you have a life where, and not that you're not prophetic, you're prophetic, but, but, but the things that God does, they're just so big that you never imagine them. You never thought about them. You never, like... It was never like, oh yeah, that's what I want. No, no, it was never like that. It was always just, he began to carry you along. And along the way, there were failures and disappointments and things didn't work out and people didn't think well of you. Some people persecuted you, some rejected you, some left you, some abandoned you, some gossiped about you or slandered you, some spoke negatively of you, some excluded you, some reviled you, some denounced you, some thought that you were a cult or went to a cult. It was all God's doing. And the greatest joy that comes from that. I want to spend some time praying together, um, or asking you to pray for yourself. Carolyn, you can come up and with the band. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives a command to his church. He says, make room for us in your hearts. And that's a very interesting thing. I'm not going to ask you to make room for alabaster in your heart unless you're called to be a member here or to be a part of our church. Well, pause on that. If you'd like, we have two services every Sunday, one in New York and one in Boston. 10.30 in New York, 4.30 in Boston. You're welcome to come to both or either, whichever one's closer to you. If you go to school at Dartmouth, we will send a car to go pick you up. Actually, if I had to be honest with you, Sally bought a car to pick you up. You don't have to make use of it, but Sally made room for you. Your choice. If you, uh, if you go to Yale, which I think like three of you do, we're all sort of happy to pick you up. Although nobody's made room for you yet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kanisha bought a van to pick you up. I'm just kidding. Kanisha bought a, a, a minivan. It's so sporty, it's unbelievable. <laughs> she called it, for those of you who appreciate it, its name is Shadowfax. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. But okay, no, prophetically, yes. <laughs> Paul says, in, in, um, so you're welcome. And then we also have membership, which if you, uh, I used to be really ashamed to say it because it just seemed so self-promoting, but it's not, because I know it to be true. Um, we're able to help you grow in God. I'm not ashamed to say it. And there is a difference between what we offer and, and what you will find elsewhere. And it's not boasting, it's just, at this point, it's just a fact. Um, very humbly, because not, we're not offering it. God's offering it. Um, but it just is what it is. And hundreds, if not thousands, of data points prove it. Um, but Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 said, make room for us in your hearts. Because he recognized that if anything you don't make room for in your heart is not going to take root there. It's not going to grow. It's not going to produce any fruit in you. And I wanna ask this morning, as we spend a little time worshiping before we leave here, um, and uh, is it you would just get before God for a moment and ask God if there's any area in your life where he would like you to make room for him? Is that okay? Is that like a weird ask? Is it? I, I I hope not. I just ask, is there anything in my life, God, that seems good to me, but really doesn't do anything, doesn't add any value, and that I could just drop and make room for you? As I was growing up, there are lots of things I had to drop. I used to play piano. I do not any longer. I used to play cello. I do not any longer. There are just things along the way. I used to play video games. I do not any longer. Like, there are just things along the way that you have to drop, because even good things like playing an instrument it may not be for you, actually. And it may be presumptuous. You see somebody else playing guitar, you'd be like, oh, I should too, I could really worship God. But that takes a lot of time. Does that make any sense? There's nothing wrong with playing guitar, but it may not be right for you. And in the same way, it may not be right for you to learn French. <laughs> <laughs> or go on six hikes, you know, a month. It, it, they're not wrong, it just, it. You might be crowding out what God would like to do. And so I would actually like to invite you to empty your life this morning to see if there may be a class that you shouldn't take, a club that you shouldn't do, uh, you know, a call you shouldn't make, a team that you shouldn't be on, you know. Maybe there's a, a volunteering opportunity that you don't, need to say yes to or a mission trip you don't need to go on just because everybody else did it's not a competition we're not we don't need to do everything other people did we need to make room in our lives so that god can do something really special just for you that's different from what he's doing for others and if you allow him to do that you'd be incredibly amazed and surprised Your life will not look normal, but it will be far better than anything that you could possibly imagine for yourself. All right, Carolyn, go ahead. I'm just gonna pray and give you a moment here. Father, I pray as we are here this morning that you would illuminate our hearts and speak to us and just put a conviction on us, God, to make space for you, to make room for you to move, to eagerly desire it, to realize how much we needed and how little we have to offer without it. Yes, Lord, we do have skills that we could offer to our employers or future employers. And yes, we have degrees or are earning degrees that have some value in the world. But Lord, you know that there are so many good coders, the world does not necessarily need another. There are enough competent doctors, the world does not necessarily need another. They're great accountants and lawyers and auditors and chefs and everything else. But God, I want to, and I pray that every single person here this morning would want to offer to the world, to their classroom, to their lab, to their community, to their apartment building, to their company, to their small group, to their colleagues, their manager, to their professor, to their PI, to their doctor, to their principal, to their president, something that is not just the excellence of the world, but it's the riches of your kingdom. Father, I pray that in any way that we filled our lives, that you would help us now to empty the cup so that you can fill it. How we've prided ourselves on being full how we've prided ourselves on having many friends and places to go and programs to do, running here and there to fill our lives with experiences and opportunities, internships, study abroad programs, clubs, but not filling our life with you not opening the door that you have been knocking on so often, so diligently, so mercifully. And now as we are here, I pray God that we would not take a casual attitude towards the need to pursue you. Some things. Maybe it's time to pack up the trophies of our high school endeavors. Maybe it's time to put away the things that we loved as a kid. Maybe it's time to realize. The dance club doesn't need us. The acapella group doesn't need us. The cultural club doesn't need us. The lab doesn't need us. But we need you. And we have nothing if we don't have you. I pray, Lord, that there would be a yearning in the heart of every student here not go out into the world to offer the world human kindness, human niceness, but to offer to the world the life of the Holy Spirit that flows like a fountain flows, like a river flows. We drank the water from the Son of Man. Life, like a river, would flow out of these students, guess, and that they would stop. Uh, I pray, Lord, for freedom over them from fears fear of failure, the fear of getting a B, the fear of not getting into grad school or finding a job or an internship. The Bible says, the Bible says that the sparrow does not worry about tomorrow. And I just pray this morning freedom over you from every single fear in your life, the fear of being a disappointment the fear of being a failure, the fear of being ashamed, the fear of getting nowhere, the fear of not being chosen, the fear of failing out. And i tell you, it is not possible for you to fail. If you value the opinion of God, it is not possible for you to fail. There is only one measure in life that is of any value And it's not your grades, it's what God thinks of you when He looks at you. It's the only thing that is of any value. Everything else is garbage. Everything else is utter rubbish. Your salary rubbish, your GPA rubbish, nobody cares. the number of likes on your Instagram. It's rubbish. Nobody cares. The only thing that is of any value is God's opinion of you. Is what God sees when he looks at you with those wonderful, loving, merciful eyes of his. When he looks at your life, what does he see? What kind of heart? what kind of desperation, what kind of hunger, what kind of eagerness, what kind of longing, what kind of openness does he see? Freedom now. Freedom now. In this room. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray against years I pray for freedom from fears and deliverance from fears and the breaking of strongholds in this room right now in Jesus name I pray that you would deliver my friends from the fear of disappointing their parents their friends their pastors people that have no right to place a judgment upon their lives we live for you oh God and for you alone oh God in Jesus name in Jesus name and I pray Holy Spirit that you speak to them now each and every single one of them that you would speak to them now in Jesus name maybe today is the day to let old things die maybe today is the day to let go certain hopes, not to say those things are evil, but to submit them once again under the mighty hand of God and say, God, if it's entered into my mind, it's too small to be perfect. If it's entered into my mind, it's too small to be a ceiling for you. If it's entered into my mind, it cannot be everything that you long for for me. And so I refuse to be limited by the dreams that I have, by the visions that I've seen, by the hopes that are in my heart, by the words that have been spoken over me, by the expectations that others have placed upon me. Not that any of those things are necessarily bad. They may all be good. But I pray today, God, that you would lift the ceiling, oh God, over us. And um, that there would just be an open heavens, God, over us. And be an open heavens over us. Just like Jacob found at Bethel. And there'd be an open heavens over us, oh God. A ladder from heaven with the angels of the Lord ascending and descending. And Jacob saying, Well, isn't this the house of God? An open heavens, God, over this room as you speak God to every single heart in this place, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, we contend, breakthrough in this place, break through in this place, welcome Holy Spirit, come into this room now
1: in Jesus' name, destroy every lie, every lie be on the chopping block now in Jesus' name. All the hay and all the stubble and all the worthless dreams that we've accrued, let them go, let them go, Lord, help us God to let go, help us God to let go, help us God to let go. Help us, God, to let go. But I just pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to press in, God, to yield ourselves, O oh God, and to declare to you, O oh God, that your dreams for us are much better than the dreams we have for ourselves, and we would never want for our dreams be fulfilled but we want your dreams to be fulfilled in us oh lord that your dreams god and your desires god and the hopes god that you had when you created us when they would be fulfilled in us fully and truly and then not a single person god here in this place would walk out this life without being a fulfillment of the desires that you had for us when you shaped us in our mother's womb. But at the end of this life, that we would look back and not think, oh, everything I wanted, I accomplished. But ask ourselves, did I accomplish the things that God wanted? Did I live out in full the desires that he had for me? Am I what God created me to be? And I just pray, oh God, that would be true. that would be true. That that would be true. That that would be true. That that would be true. And that not a single desire that you have, oh God, would fall to the ground. That not a single desire. That not a single plan. That not a single thing, God, that you have planned for us would fail to come to pass. Because we were simply too busy. Because we filled our lives with everything else. And did not have any space for you. And oh God, today I pray for the blessing of emptiness to come upon us now, oh God. And I pray, oh Lord, for grace, 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 grace for us to choose, these students to to choose, to choose, to choose, to choose, to choose, to have less, oh God, to have less, oh God, so that we can have something of you, oh God, to fill our lives with less, oh God. And not to worry, God, about the judgment of others that we take less classes, or we do less things, that sometimes we say, I have no plans, because it's a glorious thing to have no plans. It is a glorious thing to have no plans. It is a glorious thing to have nobody to have dinner with, and to have nobody you have to see, and to have no meeting you have to go to. It is a glorious thing to be able to sit in peace before the Lord for an hour, because there's simply nothing else to do. It's a glorious thing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It is a blessing. Nothing to be ashamed of. To have a weekend that is totally free. Where you're not bound to something. You're not bound to some religious activity. Some extracurricular activity. Some academic activity. That steals your attention. And it steals your youth. And before you know it, you are an old man. And all you've gotten are the treasures of Egypt. For the Bible says that Moses esteemed the, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ above all the treasures of Egypt and there is nothing God that this world can offer to us not friends, not popularity, not positions not fame, not success, not wealth not luxuries or vacations or hobbies. But we want you, oh God, to do something in us. We want a testimony, O oh Lord. We want to be able to stand up one day and give a testimony of what it is that you've done in us. We want every day and every moment to be able to give a testimony, oh God. The help is Jesus, come on. Press in now, and let God speak to you. The treasures of Egypt are worth less than the reproach of Christ, they are worth less. They are worth less, they are worth less. Egypt has nothing to offer to you today. Deliver yourself out of the grasp of Pharaoh. Deliver yourself from the world that you know. It is worth in totality nothing, Uh, nothing. Come on, oh God, go in this room now in Jesus' name, and help us to turn to you, oh God, to make room, oh God, to discover and to find opportunities, oh God, to sow into you and to invest in you, and to choose you above all things, and to choose an empty life that is filled with the riches of heaven. In Jesus' name, speak to every heart. Speak to every heart. Speak to every heart. Every heart. Every heart right now. Every heart. We pray for the gift of conviction to come over us. Every single heart in Jesus' name.